So it's been a month since we've been in uh, Acts. Uh, the risen Jesus is advancing his kingdom through his spirit empowered people. It began in Jerusalem. It then spread outward to Judea and Samaria. And then since chapter 13, we've watched it spreading uh, to the ends of the earth. All that's left now is Paul somehow getting to Rome. Right? He was on trial five times, and finally he appeals to Caesar. And so they stick Paul on a ship with a bunch of other prisoners... A storm sweeps them off course, and then after a half month lost at sea, they shipwreck on some island. This story today in chapter 27 excites, it exposes, and it encourages. I mean, it excites because who doesn't like a dangerous, suspense-filled journey at sea? Think of all the adventures recorded, the movies produced, and the books written that include a storm-tossed ship or a shipwreck on some island. It's exciting. But the story is also exposing. It's full of danger, uncertainty, hardship, and yet Paul gives thanks, he encourages, he serves, he works to save others. It's exposing... Because would we respond the same way when life fills with uncertainty and hardships? But the story also encourages. Through it all, we see our sovereign God, who is gracious to sustain His servants and display His power in our weakness. So let's read Acts 27 all the way through. And then we'll return to some of these themes I just mentioned. Verse 1. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and to be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, so the lee would be the part of the island that's protecting you from the winds. They sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind didn't allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmoni. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. And since much time had passed, 
And the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. So we're talking about the Day of Atonement here. We're looking at beginning of October-ish. And the closer it got to November, the more you did not want to be on the sea because of the weather. So, Paul knows this. It's dangerous because even the fast was already over. And so Paul advises them, verse 10, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out out to sea from there and on the chance that uh, somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship, and then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, it's like the shallows area, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. And yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. For I have, fa- I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land, and so they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms, and fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them, all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. 
Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they didn't recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. And then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. Remember, there's no lifeboat because the soldiers cut it off. So they're going to try to run this ship right up to the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground and the bow stuck and remained immovable. And the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Now that's a good story. It's different from what we've read prior. Uh, We're used to obstacles like unbelief and persecution and demonic influence, doctrinal confusion, pagan misunderstandings. But here we get a storm and a shipwreck. What's the takeaway? Uh, How does a story like this help us follow Jesus? Consider first the dangerous journey. They didn't board an ocean liner. Think large wooden vessel crammed with 276 people. And this hurricane-like wind pounds the ship off course. There's constant fear. The storm doesn't last one night. We're at 14 nights by verse 27. No Coast Guard. No Pete Delkus weather updates. No Google Maps. All they have is the sun by day and the stars by night. But verse 20 says, neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. So they're lost and they can't control the ship. They're fearing like they're going to run this ship up on the shallows. So they start jettisoning the cargo and they chunk the tackle next. And they abandon all hope. Verse 20 says. In verse 30, even the sailors try to escape. And you know it's bad when the professionals are getting off. Like, we're out of here. And then you're left with a bunch of soldiers who don't have the smarts enough to keep the lifeboat, right? They cut it away. This is awful. It's dangerous. It's uncertain. It's scary. From a human perspective, it's hopeless. Something I think we can draw from this here is faithfulness doesn't mean a mission without difficulty. Compare this to Jonah, right? Jonah runs from the Lord and the Lord sends a storm to get the prophet back to Nineveh. We shouldn't take from Jonah, oh, 
I'll obey and I won't get any storms. Wrong. Paul does everything right. He means to go to Rome, just as Jesus said. He's obedient all along the way. He's ready to give his life for Christ. Faithfulness doesn't mean everything is smooth sailing. Faithfulness doesn't mean a mission without difficulty. Faithfulness doesn't force God into a position where he must now protect you from all of life's problems. And I'm not even talking about persecution problems. We expect persecution. The world hates Christ. But here, Paul is caught in a violent storm on a ship. He suffers great difficulty simply from living in a fallen world riddled with futility. The Northeaster. This is like hurricane-type winds here. So hurricanes, that kind of futility. Ship captains that make unwise choices. We could add floods, earthquakes, fires, cancer, car accidents, miscarriages, estranged spouses, problems that none of us would ask for or wish upon anybody, and yet in His wisdom God designs for us to walk through many hardships. In a minute we'll talk more about why He has us walk through them and how He enables us to walk through them. But for now, just consider the fact that we will face difficulty in the mission. In the path of obedience to Jesus, you may face imprisonment or you may face cancer. You may face disownment from family members or you may face a life-altering car accident. Whether it's due to fallen people or the fallen creation, even those who are faithful will face difficulties, dangers, and seemingly hopeless Situations, And the question is, what do we do with them? What do we do with them? Well, we who belong to Christ know that hardships and sufferings like these can't mean that the Lord has forsaken us. They can't mean that the Lord's love for us has grown any less. Right as Wes reminded us last week for Easter... Those who are justified by faith in Christ have peace with God. And that's not going away because Jesus died for our sins and He rose from the dead for our justification. We can rest assured that even our sufferings, Romans 5 says, will produce in in us those things that lead to more and more hope in the glory of God. Then what then do we do with these difficulties? We know our hope is in the glory of God. We we can rest assured that He he loves us and we belong to Christ and nothing's going to take that away. So what do we do in the midst of these difficulties, though, while standing on that rock of assurance? Well, Luke offers a great example in Paul. Paul faces a dangerous journey, but he's a faithful servant in that journey. That's not to say Paul didn't need help. He certainly did. Uh, What happens in verse 3? Paul looks for his friends. Right? He needs their care. He needs their embrace. Their prayers. Their presence. Their words. How instrumental their care must have been to, to strengthen him before he faces this danger. But as he faces it, we find him faithful. He doesn't know yet that God will spare their lives, but he offers wise counsel in verse 10. 
I perceive the, ver- the voyage will be with much injury and much loss. And on that, he was proven right. In verse 21, he gets in a little, I told you so. Should have listened to me. But to his surprise, something he didn't know, the Lord promises that nobody will lose their lives. An angel appears to him, the God to whom he belongs and whom he worships sends a message. Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Nearly the same promise came from Jesus in chapter 23, verse 11. Only here we see how that promise to Paul to get to Rome ends up benefiting everybody else on the ship. So what does Paul do? Well, he brings encouragement to the people based on God's revelation. He brings encouragement to the people based on God's revelation. Take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on some island. And sure enough, that's what happens. Now, a major part uh, of, 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 of Luke's purpose here uh, with, with chapter 27, the reason chapter 27 is in Acts, a major part of that is, is, is serving Luke's apologetic to vindicate God's messenger. Okay, it, it, it's to show how God's hand is upon Paul. Uh, when Paul speaks on God's behalf, he's not lying. He's speaking truth. Paul's God isn't like the capricious and unpredictable gods of paganism. His God is trustworthy. And what a platform that would create for the gospel. Paul says... My God told me that this was going to happen. And that's exactly what goes on and happens. Conclusion? We should listen to this man. We should trust in his God. What more has your God promised? Enter the gospel of Jesus Christ and the promise of salvation from judgment for all of those who put their trust in Christ. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a true word. You can speak and, it's, and you can base your confidence on this God who just fulfilled his word to Paul. And so we see Paul's faithfulness to offer wise counsel. And we see his faithfulness to encourage others based on God's revelation. We also see his faithfulness to save the lives of those on the ship. Verse 31 Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Now, does that warning contradict God's promise? Does Paul see him leaving and kind of start questioning whether God's going to come through on his, on his promise? Is he doubting God here by saying this? No. The warning is the means by which God fulfills His promise. Okay? This warning of conceivable consequences, not probable consequences, but conceivable consequences. Hey, you can't be saved if you do that. These conceivable consequences, God inspires these types of warnings as a means... To fulfill his promises. They all stay. Their life gets spared. Just as God promised. 
This is a great illustration, in fact, of how all the warning passages in Scripture work. They are the means by which God fulfills His promise. And then finally, we, see, we also see Paul's faithfulness in the way he's able to give thanks to God. In verse 33, he encourages those on the ship to take some food. He reassures them of God's promise once more. And then verse 35 says, He took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Storm-tossed, frightened, at their wit's end, they were weak. And, but here's Paul... What's he doing? Serving his neighbors, encouraging them with God's word, and giving thanks to God in their presence. He's got 276 people, captive audience. I'm going to give thanks to God when I break this bread. Paul is is not sulking. He's not throwing a self-pity party. Over the circumstances, he's not complaining. He practices what he preaches in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 to give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Now Paul may be a prisoner stuck in a storm, but his confidence is in God's word. And that confidence in God's word leads him to serve and save others while pointing them to a gracious father. His confidence in the Word of God leads him to serve and save others while pointing others to to his gracious Father. Who does that sound like? That sounds a whole lot like the risen Lord Jesus to whom Paul belongs. As a man, Jesus remained confident in God's Word and that confidence led him not only to overcome Satan's temptations on our behalf, it drove him to serve and to save others even to the point of death on a cross, all the while pointing them to the gracious Father who was delivering up His only Son. And by sketching in Paul's faithfulness, Luke ends up portraying the risen Jesus to whom Paul belongs. He's coming to Rome as a prisoner, but he spreads the aroma of Christ on that ship. Luke is setting forward Paul as a model disciple here, somebody to to imitate when we face similar situations. But Paul's faithfulness really becomes a window through which we see our sovereign, gracious God at work. When we look through that window of Paul's faithfulness, we witness several things about his God. And, And that's really the point of this passage in Scripture. What is it saying about God? It's really the point of any passage in Scripture. What is it saying about our God? Well, we see that God's Word is trustworthy. God's Word is trustworthy. Verse 24. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted to you all those who sail with you. So take heart. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on some island, 
Now the end of verse 34, I mean, end of verse 44. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. God did exactly what he told Paul he would do. And he will do exactly what he tells you that he will do. Hear his promises, beloved. I will remember your sins and your lawless deeds no more. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion for the day of Christ Jesus. Why can you take those promises to the bank? Because of God's proven faithfulness again and again, like we see here in Scripture. And to Paul, this is going to happen to you. And it happens to him. So stake your life on God's revelation to you. Take his promises to the bank because he is trustworthy. Trust in God that, he will, that it will be exactly as he has told you. And then share those promises with others. Encourage believer and unbeliever alike with what you know to be true from God's revelation in Scripture. Why? Because His Word is trustworthy. It's going to happen. We also see that God's purpose is unstoppable. God's purpose is unstoppable. Several years earlier, the Holy Spirit constrained Paul to go to Rome. A little bit later, Jesus tells Paul that he's going to go to Rome. But how many, how many obstacles does Paul face before getting to Rome? I mean, he's got this riot that happens in Ephesus, Jewish persecution, a, a couple of plots to kill him, Roman imprisonment, two governors and a king try him, and now he's storm-tossed and shipwrecked. And yet all along the way, Luke is reminding us and giving us these little hints that God's sovereign purpose isn't thwarted. Whether it's fallen people or the fallen creation, nothing's going to hinder God from accomplishing His purpose. Rather, God designs everything together to serve His purpose. The events may not make sense to us, The circumstances may feel like God is absent or like God's purpose just can't succeed now. And they may may even drive you like it drove everybody on this ship to feel like all hope is lost. But again and again, the Bible is confirming that God orchestrates all things according to His will. That He works everything to to finish the work of flooding the earth with the knowledge of His glory as the water cover the sea. If he wants his messenger, 
Paul to testify in Rome, he's going to get him to Rome. And he will testify. In the midst of chaos, rest yourself in the sovereignty of God. Rest yourself in the sovereignty of God to work all things together for your good and His glory. You may be uncertain, weary, lost, wondering if the clouds are ever going to part. But if you belong to Jesus, you can break that bread today and give thanks. You can give thanks for His words to you. You can give thanks for the Son that He gave for you. You can give thanks for the Spirit that He has given to you. You can thank Him that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Listen, this isn't pretending that the hardships are not real. That the hardships are not awful. That the hardships are not painful. It's not the power of positive thinking where we reinterpret the events to be something other than what they are. That's not what's going on here. This is acknowledging the hardships for what they really are and then resting in God who is sovereign and gracious to bring us through them. This is not, I'm stronger than this. I can think harder than this. This is my God is sovereign and my God is gracious and He will get me through this. He is stronger, not I. Which brings us to another observation here. Looking through the window of Paul's faithfulness, we also see that God's grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Everything that he needs to be faithful, God gives him. And I want to point you to the way Paul himself views shipwrecks in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians 11. I had one other point, but I had to throw it out because we don't have time. But if you want a fourth point, take home with you. God is gracious to pagans. All right? We see that all throughout this passage. I don't have time to talk about that today. He is gracious to pagans. He saves their lives here. He's a merciful God who wants people to come to know Him. But here I want to focus. I'm going to spend the rest of our time on this one, that God's grace is sufficient. So this is 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. And keep in mind that that Paul wrote 2 Corinthians prior to this experience we've been reading about in Acts. Okay, but the letter provides insight into the way he views circumstances like these. Paul is defending his ministry. False apostles have duped the Corinthian church. And apparently they're boasting in the flesh about their Jewishness. And so Paul embarks on a little bit of foolish boasting himself to prove the genuineness of his apostleship versus theirs, right? Uh, and so at the beginning of, uh, of this little passage here, if it's Jewishness the church values, well, Paul has these guys beat by a mile. Okay, but that's not really what the church ought to be looking at, 
And Paul makes that very clear. The church ought to be assessing the genuineness of these teachers by how much their lives bring glory to Jesus. And so Paul starts boasting in those weaknesses that bring glory to Jesus. Okay, and he just starts rattling them off in verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times I was shipwrecked. Before we got, three times he's gotten shipwrecked before we reached someone in Acts. 27. A day and a night I was adrift at sea. Sound familiar? On frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. Danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. How much sleep do you think they got on the ship for 14 days in a storm? Through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food. In cold and exposure. And then he concludes the list in verse 30 like this. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Now, skip over to chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. And he goes on to speak about a heavenly experience he had. And, and then he could boast a whole lot about that. But, but God put a thorn in his flesh to keep him from being arrogant. And, and he doesn't remove the thorn to Paul, in answer to Paul's prayer. Instead, God answers Paul's prayer this way. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, keeping chapters 11 and 12 in mind, what does Paul mean by weaknesses? Sometimes this is misunderstood by people. What does Paul mean by weaknesses? He does not mean sin. He does not mean his sin, and he does not mean imperfections. He means the things he's been talking about here. The circumstances that often expose us as weak people. In chapter 11, it was things like shipwreck, adrift at sea, danger at sea, sleepless nights, hunger. And here he lists out insults, hardships, persecutions, calamity. These are things happening to us that are outside of our control. But when they do happen to us, they reveal we're a bunch of weak people. Okay? And so he gladly boasts in these weaknesses. Why? Because they showcase God's grace and power in the path of obedience. So when we cling to Jesus through weakness, 
The world doesn't look at us and say, oh, you're strong, man. You got this. The world says, who is your God? He is awesome in power and strength and might. I want to know him. The world can only say God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is the only thing making sense of this man's life. Or this sister's life. Look at God's power sustaining his servant. Listen to her finding ways to give thanks when she's just so weak. Linda Huffman, Rachel, and I got uh, the privilege of visiting Jennifer during, Jennifer during the Easter service uh, last week. And we sang songs from the worship guide that you guys were singing here on Sunday, and we followed the readings, and we opened God's Word together, and I was just going to kind of give her little snippets of what I knew Wes was going to be talking about, but no more than four or five minutes in, into Romans 5, Jennifer was, was just too physically and mentally weak to keep going. And the cancer has just been so, so hard on, on her body. And so she, she started crying. Uh, she, she had wanted us to come so that she could be encouraged. But she was just so discouraged that she didn't have the strength to even comprehend what we were talking about anymore. And so we just stopped everything and we prayed for Jennifer and we asked the Lord to strengthen her heart and Linda prayed that the Lord would bring to her remembrance the truths that the Lord had taught her. And not too long after that, some of her neighbors stopped by to to check on Jennifer. They saw our cars out in front. And uh, after a short greeting, uh, Jennifer starts recounting God's faithfulness to her in this battle with cancer. And she said, I was in the midst of so much worry the other day that she cried out to the Lord to tell her what He did promise her. And these are, these are her words. She, he told me, Fear not, for I will be with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10 And Jennifer then went on another ten minutes of discourse about how she knew that no matter what came to her, and no matter how hard her circumstances got, that she knew that God would protect her from fear and care for her through them. And that she didn't need to know all the details of what had happened to her in the past and what will happen to her in the future because the Lord hadn't given that to her to know. And talking directly to all five of us now, she says, Jennifer talks with her hands, You don't need to know all the details of what's coming in order to trust the Lord through hardship. No. All we need to know is Him and that He's faithful. And what happened after that? We glorified God. That's the way it works. He answered Linda's prayer. He strengthened Jennifer in her weakness. In this dangerous journey of cancer, he empowers his servant to encourage others with God's revelation from Isaiah 41. He put his power on display. We were amazed by his grace. Jennifer was amazed by by his grace. 
She was exhausted. She says, after that, she says, oh, I'm exhausted. I was like, yeah, you just preached a sermon. And she says, no, it was the Lord. God received all the glory through her weakness. The circumstances that were outside of her control exposed her as weak, and yet the Lord is using Jennifer to display His power in that weakness and prove His grace is sufficient in Christ. And that is a testimony to all of us as a church body, and it was a testimony to her neighbors just across the street. We'd stop by. Brothers and sisters, the Lord saved you, and He brings you through difficulty to do the same. When you belong to Christ... Your life becomes a theater wherein God displays His power in your weakness. When you endure hardship, when you walk through trial, when you face seemingly hopeless situations, remember that God's Word is trustworthy, that God's purpose is unstoppable, and that God's grace is sufficient. When we stand on Him as our unshakable rock, our constant supply, your life will become a window through which people will see the sovereign, gracious God at work. Just like we see it here in the Apostle Paul. Even more, your life will show the way of the cross where God's power was truly perfected in weakness. To the world, it looked like foolishness, But to us who are being saved, the cross is the power and the wisdom of God. Let's celebrate that cross as we now come to the table together. This podcast is brought to you by Redeemer Church, a community of believers in Fort Worth, Texas, committed to equipping God's people to delight in God's glory and declare that glory to our neighbors and the nations. For more information, visit our website at RedeemerFortWorth.org.